Uh, we're continuing on this uh, series called The Story. Uh, the past couple weeks we talked about uh, the king, what once was a great nation has now divided, has ha- now become two. Uh, last week I believe you talked about the, the northern kingdom uh, coming under attack. They didn't listen to God's warnings and uh, consequently they fell to an army by the name of Syria, which we'll touch on a little bit here as well. So if you would, would you please turn with me to Second Chronicles. You need to, I want you to follow along with me in the Word of God. So grab your Bibles, grab the one on the back of the pew in front of you and follow along with me. If you're not reading the story, you know, the book that we sold, if you're not reading that or you, and you have a copy and you set it aside, you need to grab it, you need to immerse yourself into it once again because this is where that book will really come into play much, uh, much more. Uh, once we get into the uh, major and minor prophets, uh, it's easy to lose out, lose focus on that timeline. And so that book does a great job in keeping things in chronological order. You're able to see uh, what prophet uh, ministered at what time. And so if you have a copy of that book, you really need to re-engage with it if you're not. If you're still with that, that's awesome. Please keep doing so. Um, <clears throat> today, uh, actually, I want you to turn again to Second Chronicles. Uh, while you're there, flip over to Isaiah as well, but keep your finger on Second Chronicles because we're going to work through. You don't have to go to that slide yet, but uh, keep, keep your finger uh, on Second Chronicles. We're going to work through that the majority of our uh, teaching time. Uh, but anyhow, today I want to talk to you about, uh, how many of you remember a code that went 10-10-220? How many of you remember that? 10-10-220. How many of you have home phones still? Raise your hand if you've got a home phone. How many of you do not have a home phone, you just rely on cell phones now? Yeah, that's starting to get... There's going to be a time where it's, people are going to ask us, what were those things, like, you know, in movies? What, what are those things, you know, you watch an old movie or something, you're like, that was a telephone. You know, remember the old, I don't remember this, some of you do, I know. Remember the Cranklins? My folks used to have one they kept from when they were first married, but uh, it was kind of cool. But anyhow, it's interesting how technology changed. 1010220, that was a code that if you made a long distance phone call, if you typed in or punched in 1010220, you would get a discount on your long distance rate. You remember that? All of you guys had enough money, not worry about that. That's awesome. That is great. So anyhow, that illustration is out the window, right? Anyhow. Let me segue quickly to say this. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if there was like a code or a formula when it comes to spiritual maturity? When it comes to moving the hand of God, wouldn't it be great if now I got some of you are sitting there, we've got it, we have the Word of God in front of us. You're exactly right. But wouldn't it be great if you could just, if it was just like there was some code like 10, 10, 2, 20, and at the end of that, boom, the hand of God moved. You didn't have to spend time thinking about it. It was just like 10, 10, 2, 20, boom. It moved. Um, today we're going to take a look at that. We're going to take a look at, at, at King Hezekiah, and it seemed as if that he had this formula. You know, when it comes to leading a church, pastoring, and things like that, that is one of the things that's like it's like you can really beat your head against the wall on. Because one of the things that we want to see happen uh, for every single one of us is that we become more mature in our faith with Jesus Christ. That we become more like Christ. And so, as a leadership, as a team, as a staff, myself, we sit down. And we start brainstorming, we start thinking, we pray, we start saying, what are the things that we can do to help people grow in their faith with Christ? What are the things that we can do to help people become more like Christ? And so, what are we looking for? We're looking for a code, we're looking for a formula. Some of you will come and say, well, if we would just do this, and this, and this, it will produce this. Others will say, no, 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 no. You can't do this because this is outdated. You've got to do this and then this and this and this. 
We're all talking about the same thing. We're looking for that formula that says, if I go through this, if you go through that, and once we get on the other side of it, it's going to equal this. That's what we're all kind of looking at. The only problem is, none of us have that code or formula, right? And it, and it becomes very difficult. So, as we look at today's, uh, today's teaching, we look at King Hezekiah, and one of the things that we look at is, like, how can you move the hand of God? It's, we see something happening in the life of King Hezekiah, and I want to point out to you a couple things as we get into it. So, um, anyhow, the nation is divided. What used to be a glorious nation, what used to be a nation where other nations feared, is now a nation that's divided. You have the northern kingdom, you've got the southern kingdom. Uh, they are vastly different. They both are, are steeped in, in, in things that are not pleasing to God. During this time, there are 38 kings. 38 kings, Okay. Remember back a few weeks ago, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. 38 kings now, 33 of them were evil. Didn't really pay off, did it? 33 of them were evil. The kingdoms had, both kingdoms had fallen to rebellion, pride, and idolatry. God would send nine prophets. Anytime you saw a prophet come on the scene, it typically, typically was a warning to say, if you don't turn, if you don't change your ways, if you don't heed God's warning, this is what's going to happen. God sent nine men, nine prophets to speak this message of warning. Listen to what it says in Second Chronicles, if you're there with me, in chapter 36, verses 15 through 16. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent His prophets to warn them. For he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. Out of his graciousness, out of his love, God looked at his people and said, I don't want you to go through this. I don't want you to go through this, what's going to come. And so he sends these, he sends these nine prophets to them to say, Hey, out of my love, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Kind of like us parents. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you keep doing that, this is what's going to happen. And some of us as parents, it's like you scratch your head because you tell your child that over and over and over again. And what do they do? Exactly what you told them not to do. It's the way it was with God. In fact, God, when God sent these uh, nine uh, messengers to them, the Scripture says that they, the people scoffed at them. They scoffed at him. In one translation, it says they called them idiots. And so... Here we, have, here we have this moment where God is saying, out of my love, I'm trying to spare you. I'm trying to show you that if you stay on this path, there's going to be extreme negative implications that's going to take place. They didn't listen. God withdraws His hand of blessing and protection, and the northern kingdom falls. The northern kingdom is utterly destroyed by, uh, by the Assyrians, and, and, uh, and, and then the southern kingdom kind of stood back at this point in time and kind of watched. If you're in Isaiah, look what the, word, the prophet Isaiah says in uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. He says, uh, You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought... Low and everyone humble. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks. Hide into the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. 
The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. For all that is exalted, they will be humbled. God had had enough. God had had enough. Out of God's love, out of His graciousness, He sent these warnings. He told them, you need to heed these warnings. They didn't listen. There came a time where God said, enough is enough. And God removed His hand of protection and blessing uh, from them. When we look at this passage of Scripture and throughout the Word of God, there's, God speaks and warns in a couple of various ways. I'm going to share with you just two of these ways. Number one is His Word. His Word at the right time. You guys sitting in here this morning are not sitting in here by coincidence. You may think that, but I don't believe that one bit. You are here for a specific reason. God has brought you here. You are here for a specific reason. And what we talk about today, God may be coming to you through the proclamation of His Word. And what you're going to hear, you're going to hear the Holy Spirit connect with your spirit. You're not, you're not going to hear me. So when, if I mispronounce a word, it's not me, it's God. Okay? So when you laugh, you're laughing at God if I say a word incorrectly, right? But God's going to come to you through the Word, the proclamation of the Word, and He's going to grab a hold of your attention. Some of you, you're going to hear God speak directly into your heart, and the message, what we're going to hear today, is a message that says, I love you. But the path you're on, you need to make some, you need to make some corrections. There's a warning here. There's a, there's a message coming to you, and God's saying, I love you. I don't want you to experience the, the trajectory you're on right now where you're, what you're going to experience, I don't want you to experience that. Hear me. I love you. And I want you to change your ways. Some of you, your ears are going to be perked. Some of your hearts are going to be stimulated. You're going to grab a hold of that message. You're going to leave here today. And you're going to really grab a hold of what God has spoken to you. Unfortunately, there's probably some that will not heed it just like these. And you're going to experience some negativity within your life because you won't change your way in which God is trying to warn you. But, the way God warns us, the way He speaks to us in various ways, one of the ways is through His Word, through a service like this, through you coming here and listening to the proclamation of His Word to, stay stu- to, to say, stop or repent. The second way is by example. It's by watching others. The southern kingdom had this unique experience. They were able to look at the northern kingdom and look at them and see what happened. They were able to look at the northern kingdom and say, whoa, these people didn't change their ways, and now they got, just got conquered by the Assyrians. We don't want to go in that direction. How many of you have an older sibling in your life? How many of you looked to your older sibling and you said, I don't want to do what they did? You know, they set a standard. And you saw what grief they caused their parents. You saw what your parents. You saw what grief it caused the family. You saw what grief it brought on themselves. And you scratched your head and you say, why would they do that? And so you look at your older sibling and you say, I'm not following that example. Some of you were that sibling, right? That's why you didn't raise your hand. Some of you are firstborn like me, except I did the good thing. I was an example for my sister, okay? Um, but some of you, you know, so... But there's so the way God speaks, a couple of ways. We're not going to go into all the ways, but two of the ways is through the proclamation of His Word, where He warns, He speaks. Uh, secondly, is example. And in our text today, in our story today, uh, our teaching today, uh, the southern kingdom took note. Assyria literally laid waste to the, to the uh, northern kingdom uh, right before the eyes of the southern kingdom. And here's what happened, though. 
As soon as the Assyrians came in and destroyed the northern kingdom, if you read the text, which we'll get to, but as soon as they did this, they turned their focus, their gaze, upon the southern kingdom. They were getting ready to head right down. In fact, that was their plan, to head right down into the southern kingdom and conquer the southern kingdom as well. There was only, there, something happened though. They, they met an obstacle. And that obstacle was, went by the name of King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah heeded God's warning. He paid attention. He said, you know what? That's not what we want. We don't want that to happen to us. And so he paid attention and he began to remove all the idols from the temple and he gives a great speech to the people. And here's the speech and it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Follow along with me if you would. Uh, chapter 32 and we're going to look at verses 7 and 8. He stands before the people. Again, the Assyrians had just taken over the northern kingdom. He stands before the people and he says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. We just sang about that. If God is for us, who can be against us? King Hezekiah was saying the same thing. King Hezekiah said, you know, this this power is great, but there is no power greater than who is with us. He said, with him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people listened and they gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. So he delivers this message to the people. They grab a hold of it and they, they, they uh, are all on board. And then King Sennacherib from the uh, Assyrian army hears this and he sends some messengers down to Judah to give them this message. And listen to what he says in uh, uh, the same chapter, uh, verses 13 through 15. And I love this confidence, this air that this king has. Do you not know what I and my predecessors have done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my predecessors. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? So he sends this message to the southern kingdom. And to sum it all up, what he's saying is this. I'm calling your God out. Who are you serving that's going to come and save you? Who in the world do you think is going to prevent me and my armies from coming in and taking you over? By the way, have you not heard of what we've done in the past? Apparently you haven't heard of the Assyrians, have you? Apparently you haven't done your homework because there's no standing up against this army. And this so-called God you serve, you think He's going to deliver you from me? Well, we'll just see about that. So, so, uh, so uh, King Sennacherib literally calls out God and says, you know, who's going to save you? Who's going to save you now? Who has the power to stop me? Just like in our lives. Just like in our lives. The enemy comes into our lives and says the same exact thing. You've crossed the line one time too many. You say that you're a Christian? You say that you're following God? You've crossed the line. You've, give, you've given in to that, 
that sinful habit one time too many. God's not going to hear you. Who's going to deliver you? You see, that's what the enemy, that's what King Sennacherib was doing to these people. You're listening to the wrong person. He starts planting the seeds of doubt. He starts planting the seeds of deception. That's exactly what the enemy does to you and I so many thousands of years later. It's the same, it's the same strategy. He comes in, you're never going to be able to change that attitude that God's wanting to change in your life. By the way, how long have you been working on this? How long has God been talking to you about this particular habit within your life? You haven't made any changes. You don't have any hope. What, what are you put, placing your hope in? You're never going to be able to kick that spiritual habit. Your marriage is way beyond repair. Your children are never going to forgive you. Who is going to deliver you? You've been, mis, you've been misled. Who can really save you now? So King Seneca Rib does the same thing. And I, look what King Hezekiah and Isaiah do. In verse 20, it says, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah cried out in prayer to heaven about this. King Hezekiah and Isaiah drop on their knees and they begin to pray. And they say, you know what? We're up against the wall, God. This isn't looking good, God. And, and, and you need to come and you need to save us. Here's what's amazing. God moves. God responds. God listens to the prayer of Hezekiah and Isaiah and God's hand of blessing, God's hand of protection sweeps across this southern kingdom. And in verse 21, look what, look what it says uh, happened. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. By the way, it says there's 185,000. God's angel came in and annihilated them all. So, so King Sennacherib withdrew to his own land in disgrace. He withdrew his, uh, to his own land in disgrace. And look what happens. And when he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with a sword. King Hezekiah, something, King Hezekiah brought God's hand a blessing. Let me, I want to ask the question, what was the formula? What's the formula that King Hezekiah used? What was the code? What was it that was so special about King Hezekiah that God said, I will answer that prayer. And God showed up in a mighty way. And God delivered them. Delivered the southern kingdom. Even though they had gone down this path of destruction and rebelliousness and idolatry, God's hand of blessing and, and protection swept across this southern kingdom. What's the formula? I think there's a couple things we can see here. In, in uh, verse 26, it said, then, King, then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. I think there are a couple of distinct things here, a couple of principles, a couple of things that we can look at. We observe about Hezekiah's leadership that placed them into a place to receive God's blessing. A couple of things that happened thousands of years ago, but I think transcends time to you and I here in the 21st century. Let me share with you the first one. The first thing is, I believe one of them is the commitment to purity. He went out of his way to remove impurity. Look at what Second Chronicles says in chapter 29, verses 3 and 6. It says, In the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He summoned the priests and Levites to meet him with the court, in the, at the courtyard east of the temple. He said to them, Listen to me, you Levites. Purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. Our ancestors were unfaithful 
and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord in His dwelling place. They turned their backs on Him. Look what he says in 15 and 16. These men called together, for their, uh, called together their fellow Levites, and they all purified themselves. They all began to cleanse the temple of the Lord, just as the king had commanded. They were careful to follow all the Lord's instructions in their work. The priests went to the sanctuary of the temple of the Lord to cleanse it, and they took out to the temple courtyard all the defiled things they found. From there, the Levites carted it out to the Kidron Valley. Our scripture tells us that King Hezekiah, in the first month of the first year, basically says this, we're going to do it God's way. What our ancestors has been doing, the way we've been doing things, is not the way that God wants us to do things. They have taken us off point. They have taken us away from God. We are now exposed to the wrath of God. It's time to return to God. And it says on the very, very first month of the very first year of his leadership, he basically says we are going to do things God's way. And he begins to start removing. The very first thing he does is to remove the impurity from God's temple. I think that relates to you and I in the sense of there's a lot of times we go to God and we seek God's blessing without living in the brokenness of our lives. In fact, there's times we don't even recognize what needs to be removed within our lives is because we're so saturated, we're so embedded into the culture around us, into the, into the traditions around us, that what we do really doesn't look that bad, right? What we do, and that whole comparing thing really gets us in trouble, but we haven't, a lot of times we don't learn our lesson with that. We talked about it back with the law. When we, when we talked about the law and how the law points to Jesus Christ, how the law is not the, what, what's going to save someone because it can't. And we can compare ourselves to things and make ourselves look a little bit better, make ourselves look not really that impure. But here's the situation. God's saying, you're going to compare yourself to me. And so when we start putting ourselves up to a holy God, we don't look that pure anymore. But as long as we don't do that, as long as we don't do that, and we just kind of compare ourselves to a couple other people, like you can turn and look at some other people and say, I'm really not that bad, that person next to me, right? I'm not, I'm, I haven't done that. I mean, I'm not guilty. I've been following God for 30 years. I haven't done that, 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 that. I'm pretty good. This stuff about going and looking into my life about impurity, I really don't buy into. You're being misled. You're being very misled. Let me share with you an example. Because, again, we pick our things in which we compare ourselves. Things in which we say, well, that's the standard of purity there. I want to share with you a couple things from the FDA standards of purity. Okay? You know what the FDA is? Federal, or food, I'm sorry, federal. It is federal, right? Food, Drug Administration, exactly. Let me share with you, let me just, let me impart to you a couple things, all right? This is what, I'm going to read to you the standard of purity for a couple food items. Just a couple, okay? Canned mushrooms, which no one likes, right? Canned mushrooms. Now, this is the standard of purity for the FDA. This is how they would define standard of purity for canned mushrooms. They can include, they can include more than 20 maggots of any size and 75 mites per 100 grams. I know you're not going to believe me, so go on the internet and check it out, okay? Wikipedia. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. 
Some goes for 15 grams, or same goes for 15 grams of dried mushrooms. No more than 10% of your mushrooms can be decomposed. That's the standard. So you can have um, of any, you can have 20 maggots of any size. Not 21. That's impure. 20 is pure, a standard of purity. Okay. How about ground cinnamon? For every 100 grams of ground cinnamon, it's okay to include 400 or more insect fragments. Now, let me define insect fragments to you. That's legs, heads, wings, thoraxes, etc. And 22 or more rodent hairs, a substance the FDA charmingly refers to as rodent filth. Okay? How many of you like frozen berries? How many of you had frozen berries for breakfast this morning? Up to 60% of frozen berries can be moldy. Now, mold's okay for you, right? Isn't that penicillin? Right? Um... They can be moldy with an average of four or more larvae or ten or more whole insects per 500 grams. To give you an idea of what that means for you, most pie recipes call for about 550 grams, which is five cups of berries. So enjoy that piece of pie this afternoon. Who doesn't love apple butter? Apple butter is allowed to be 12% moldy. For every 100 grams of apple butter, it's okay to have four or more rodent hairs and an average of five or more whole or equivalent insects. The average serving size of apple butter is about 30 grams, so, no, so you're only ingesting a little more than one rodent hair and 1.6 insects per serving. Okay. I just got a couple more, and I'm not skipping out on these. I don't care if you like it or not. I am not missing out on this one. Turkey meat. Ha <laughs> ha. Turkey meat that's in turkey burgers, turkey dogs, turkey patties, and nuggets that, have been, that has been mechanically separated from the bone, that's code for uh, an entire turkey, bones and all, that's been forced through a sieve under high pressure, oozing, to quote the FDA, a paste-like and batter-like poultry product on the other side. That paste-like poultry product contains a high percentage of ground-crushed and pulverized bones. Evident in the high levels of calcium, which is okay with the FDA. Tomato paste, pizza sauce, or other sauces. I only got two more. We were having spaghetti today. (laughs) Not now. It's okay. They can include 30 or more fly eggs per 100 grams. Alternatively, you can have... Now, okay, this is... got to pay attention. Alternatively... You can have 15 or more fly eggs and one or more maggots. Or two or more maggots, but not all the above. All right, last one. Last one. 100 grams of cornmeal. That's roughly the amount required by your average cornbread recipe. The FDA says it's okay to have two or more whole insects. That's our standard for purity. That's the FDA standard for purity. For food purity. Now, is it safe to say that I think we all would like to think the standard is high for our food? It used to be, right? I think, I think every single one of us in here would say, you know what? The standard for the purity of food is really high. Here's the issue. Here's the issue, though. You see how when we compare with things, when you look at that and you're thinking, wow, that's, that's not pure. Maggots in my food is not pure. Maybe this is the moment where we need to take a look at our lives and say, 
maybe my life isn't as pure as what God desires. Maybe, maybe I need to re-examine the purity for my life. Listen to what 1 John 1, uh, uh, chapter 1, 8-9 says. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's, I listened to a pastor this week use this illustration, and I'm just going to steal it because I, I love this illustration. He talks about, kind of to, to illustrate this, he talks about uh, going away on a vacation for a couple of weeks and, and, and uh, you don't really secure someone to cut your grass. And so you come back, and it was one of those couple days where everything, all the stars lined up perfectly and your fertilizer and all that, temperatures, everything. So you come back to about two feet of grass, right? And so you pull out your Wally World mower and you know that it's not going to cut it, right? I will amuse myself. I don't care if you... You pull out your Wally World mower and you know it's not going to cut. It's just going to die. It's going to look hideous when you're done. However, the neighbor next door that, you, you're, that you're friends with... They have one of those commercial mowers, and you know, with a bagger and all that jazz, and you know it's going to take you like, a, you know, uh, a fraction of the time if you just go over there and ask him, "Hey, can I can I use your can I use your commercial mower to to do my to do my yard?" And so as you're walking across your lawn, and you get to the property line to his his yard, he's got one of those little ankle biter dogs that comes up and starts yapping and and, and biting your ankles, and you don't kick it, you don't kick it, but you give it like a push, right? You give it a push, and after you give it a push, you look up and you see that your neighbor's sitting on the porch. Now, some of you may be audacious enough to just kind of ignore that and go up and just ask, hey, can I borrow your mower after I kicked your dog? But I would guess most of us would kind of be like, i got to deal with that before I ask a favor, right? It's kind of like that. I I like that illustration because it really points us to God. There may be things within our lives, impurities within our lives, where God is saying, hey, before you start going down this path, why don't we talk about this? Why 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 don't we get this out of the way? This thing that's blocking us, this, this thing that we both know is there, why don't, why don't we spend a few moments just kind of talking about that? What's between you and God that needs to be repented or confessed of this morning? Hezekiah was very focused and committed to getting the impurities out of the temple and getting the impurities out of the southern kingdom. The second thing that we see within his life was a commitment to prayer. The first thing that he does when he comes up, he sees this Assyrian army pressing up against them. And as he sees this Assyrian army pressing up against them, he goes to Isaiah and he prays. He sees this Assyrian army that when he looks at it, 185,000, he just saw them destroy the northern kingdom and now they're pointed to the southern kingdom. And he looks at this and he says, this doesn't look good. This seems like this is going to not turn out, this is going to be a bad day, right? And so the first thing that he does 
is that he seeks out the prophet Isaiah and he prays. How many of you are familiar? Have you been driving around here and seeing, seeing like the, the billboards that talk about, I think it's about foreclosure, where it says, make your, your phone call to your parents or your mom second or your best friend second. Have you seen those? Well, just trust me, there's some billboards out there, right? And it reminded me of this. Hezekiah didn't go to his advisors and say, hey, what should we do? Hezekiah didn't go to his friends and say, hey, you know what? we got a situation here. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a situation here. He didn't go to a small group and say, hey, you know what? This is what's going on. Let's, let's brainstorm this for a little bit. Let's throw some stuff up against the wall and see what happens. He didn't go to his colleagues. He didn't go to his pastor. He didn't go to his parents. He didn't go to all these other people. Who he went to was he went to the prophet Isaiah because he knew that Isaiah was a man of God and he was a voice, per, voice piece of God. He goes to Isaiah And they immediately pray. And God shows up. You see, prayer is this utter dependence upon God. It's this desperation. It's this contrite heart. It's this attitude and posture that says, God, I am up against something. I am dealing with something here that I don't have the capabilities of dealing with. My friends don't have the capabilities of dealing with it. My small group doesn't. My pastor does All these other things, they don't. God, the only person that has the capabilities of helping me through this situation is you. And God, if you don't show up, I'm going to be crushed. That was, Isaiah, that was Hezekiah's prayer. God, you've got to show up. You've got to show up. And God showed up for Hezekiah. We've been talking about this one prayer happening on Wednesday night. And I'll be very interested how many people show up to pray for what we're going to pray about. And that's the students of our church. We've been wrestling with this for a couple of years now. What do we do with the students? How, we've had ideas after ideas after ideas. We've had the think tanks. We've had the brainstorming. We've had all these things. And it seems as if God has come time and time again and said, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. And I'll be very honest with you, and I'm, 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 I'm confessing this to you. I think we've bypassed God on it. Because we get caught up in this, we need to produce, we need to produce, we need to produce. Well, if you just do this, here's an idea, here's an idea, here's an idea, here's an idea. And next thing you know, we listen to all these other people's ideas versus, God, this is your church. What is it that you want for our students? And that's just one example. We have got to be a church that goes to God in prayer that says, God, this is your church. What is it that you want? What is it that you want? How is it that you want us to minister to this group of people or that group of people or here or there or whatever? This is your church. Hezekiah prayed and God showed up. This next part of the story goes with it, but it kind of leaves, it's one of these passages when I read, it leaves this question mark. And I'm only sharing this with you because I want to, I want to, it plants the seeds for the, for the next few weeks of where we're going or, or a little bit later. But later in Hezekiah's life, he prays for additional years to live. 
There comes a time where he, he spends time with God in prayer and he asks for additional years to live. And God grants him this request and God extends his life for a little bit longer. But here's where it becomes perplexing to me. As he is in this additional time that God granted him in his life, he has a son by the name of Manasseh. And if you read this story... Later on, Manasseh will take the kingship and literally take the southern kingdom completely away from where his father went. He was the antithesis of who his father was. And consequently, because of Manasseh's leadership, it, the, the nation became subject to being destroyed. And it's a very sad part of the whole story. You look at it and you're like, didn't we just figure this out? <laughs> didn't we just... Didn't we just figure out the formula? It's very sad. Because it seems like these people can never get it right. Clear from Genesis, it seems like it's, it's like they can't get it right. They can't get it right. They can't get it right. And I, I can certainly relate. They had the law. They had the kings. They had the prophets. And time after time after time after time, God kept coming to them and saying... You're off base, you're off base, you're falling to idolatry, you're doing this, you're doing that. You need to follow me, you need to repent, you need to get rid of the pride in your heart. And it seems as if there is absolutely no hope. But it's right about this time that the prophet Isaiah begins to write prophecy after prophecy of the hope yet to come. 700 years before his birth, Isaiah is writing about Jesus Christ, the ultimate hope, the ultimate Savior that's going to come in, that's going to supersede the law, that's going to supersede the kings, that's going to supersede the prophets, that's going to fulfill all of that, and that's going to make things right and restore hope. Guys, that is the hope, he is the hope that you and I have this morning. That if we place our faith and trust in him, that if we live in that sense of contriteness and humbleness before Him, allowing Him, just selling ourselves out to Him, that we have hope. Regardless of what we face, we have hope. This morning we're going to spend just a couple more minutes in, in, uh, in song. And I, I, I pray that you would just use this, this time and space to encounter God. I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey. I, I, I don't, and, and I thank God that that's not my job. It's, it, it, that, would, there would be, that would be so hard to manage. But I'm asking you, if you would, that you might use this time to open yourself up to God, to say, God, where am I at in this? Do I have some impurities? Is my standard of purity a little bit off here? God, where, where am I at? The one thing I do want to ask you to do, if you would just do this for me. Don't assume don't go in this saying, well, I, I don't have any impurities. I don't have anything that God wants to work on. That's a pretty big assumption. Open yourself up. Let the Holy Spirit have freedom in your life right now. Let the Holy Spirit just engage you. God wants to encounter you. He wants you to encounter Him. The question is, will you place yourself in that position? Maybe today's the day where God's Word is coming specifically for you to say, I love you, but it's time to repent. It's time to, it's time to get rid of some of this, these things that may not be a big deal to you, but they're a big deal to me. 
But that's between you and God. And I just pray that you would open yourself up. I'm going to close my time with a, with a, a word of prayer, and then we're going to spend a couple minutes uh, singing to Him. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for speaking to us this morning. Thank You for allowing us to look at individuals from the past and to, to glean to glean an example, to glean uh, ways that, that, that we look at and we say, man, that King Hezekiah pleased you. And God, may we grab a hold of that this morning and implement those things within our lives. May we be individuals that are absolutely concerned with purity and prayer. God, I pray that you would help us this morning. I pray that you would help us to encounter you. I know that you want to encounter us. I pray that we would open our hearts up to you, that we would put ourselves in that vulnerability, that humble state, that state of contriteness, and that we would allow you to just speak to us. To either encourage us or to correct us or whatever it may be, God. Whatever the message is that you have for us, God, that we would put ourselves in a position to hear that. I pray that you would just use this time, God, to to do that. And I pray that we would respond the way you want us to respond. And God, would you please just don't allow the enemy to be in here. Don't allow distractions to take place. Help us to let go of those distractions that may be taking us off point. We just give you all the praise and the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.